0: We, wait, 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 wait! I have Seth Klein on the line. Has requested that we not kill the video so that you, you can see my face through, throughout. And and you look very dapper. Thanks. Thanks yeah, Charlie. you have. Uh, that's multi-day beard, or is that? This is the new me. This is. The new... I've
1: I've been bearded since uh, since the summer.
0: Summer twenty twenty pandemic summer.
1: Yeah, it's a pandemic beard, but I've now I've now had it for many months.
0: I had a pandemic uh, mustache. In that, um, it made people sick.
1: Yeah, that's about uh, it.
0: Yeah. is what how I would describe it. Uh, you, I, I didn't mean to cause you stress. I just found out that I stressed you out by not replying to a text where you asked what we were going to talk about. It's it's yeah. it's pretty free form. You, I mean, you should be. Uh, I, of all possible guests, uh, you should have been the readiest since your wife has already been on. And there have been f- yeah. like three or four. Yeah.
1: Are we the first couple you've oh, had as
0: guests? Yeah. The, no one else has even come cl- close. There's not even, uh, there, there's no, um, yes, no other uh, relationship has I don't been... know what to
1: take from that other than you probably need to get out more.
0: <laughs> well i definitely need to get out more it's illegal for me to get out right now i um and and i um i live with um if if dr bonnie henry has a henchman uh a hench person sorry i do not mean to be small-minded about it if she has a hench person it oh, is I my where wife was
1: going. yeah sorry i knew where that was going yeah uh
0: she uh Kara uh, has been, and not that I resist this, I think it's you know it's the way to go. But Kara um, has a very like uh, Wahhabi style interpretation of the public health uh, guidelines. So, we, so do
1: you even like no no pandemic walks at a social distance with masks?
0: We can we can do the legally permit permissible walk with one person with masks, but like, so for instance, she'll go, she's been for a walk with her mom, but won't bring our daughter with her. Oh, she's yeah, okay. like, she's, she's following to that letter. And her uh, thing is, it's mm-hmm. very Kantian. She goes, well, it, uh, what if everybody didn't do it? Or like, her whole, because I'll say, what if I just let, like, what if I just let Rob and T know we're going to the dog park? where like that we will be at the dog beach where there are other people like epidemiologically it, i can't see how it's different if they're among the people who are at the dog beach like it's not like the, we haven't reserved a spot at the dog beach it's not a closed dog beach or private dog beach. The public is allowed to go there. We could run into them there and there'd be nothing wrong with saying hello. I,
1: I applaud Kara. Yes. yes. I, I think, you know, we should model listening to the scientists
0: and and listening to a kind of sort of the wartime exigency, which is I think it's, it's this is all really good uh, segue into you and your project this this um, year. But I, should, I I immediately got into the intimacy of you and me, and I feel like I should I should not presume that level of intimacy with um uh, with the listeners. Those who are, are listening uh, can hear me now speaking to Seth Klein, a uh, e- author economist. Long time director of the uh, BC uh, uh, wing of the uh, Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives, and now a. Um, uh, so you were like a samurai uh, left wing economist, now you are a, like a Ronin left wing economist, right? Is that, uh, is that a promotion? No, uh, I think it's just a, a liberation, right? Like you're, you're, you're a, you're a, uh, you're like a left-wing economist yeah. for hire, like wandering oh, the wilderness, uh, wilderness. Um, yeah, like a mercenary, not for hire, not for hire. Yeah. But
1: I, I, okay, I take from what you meant to say, yes, <laughs> that that I am now more independent.
0: Yeah, well, you are no longer. Um, uh you well i don't want to say retired, because i feel <laughs> no. like uh that you would you would might bristle at that a, a man of your age might bristle um uh <laughs> men of your age get bristly Keep digging <laughs> <You do. laughs> i uh, uh but you um you made what you would call what would you call what you did
1: two years ago you mean yeah like but a I, step
0: like you stepped away from a i um,
1: from a long time, well, I was, I was 22 years employed with a, you know, with a regular paycheck and uh, with the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives. And I decided, I decided I had another career in me and I wanted to try something different. So I, I gave nine months notice and I announced I was leaving. Okay. And I left. I stepped away.
0: And was that a symbolic different. nine months to, to, to <laughs> gestate and birth a new Seth? it was not planned that way no it kind of turned out that way yeah uh, uh well it sounds like an ultra sound uh uh decision <laughs> um with and now and that you took the time you you wrote a book that feels like um very uh plugged into um very plugged into the moment in the sense of uh not that it saw this it was a
1: fluke, but it was, it was kind of
0: a fluke, but a good in a good way, like, like, because I, I think it speaks to the, uh, well, because uh, tell the people what your tell, tell the people what your book's about and, and then we can discuss how okay. that would uh, fit into the, the moment that we all find ourselves in right, right now.
1: Well, so I had this book proposal I, in that period when I announced I was leaving CCPA, but I hadn't left yet. I started work up a book proposal. I actually talked about it with you. I remember back Mm -hmm. when we were allowed to have walks and uh, you could
0: sit and you could, uh, you could writhe with each other on a, on a couch back then. I don't remember doing that with you, but (laughs) it wasn't uh... that we did. It's that we could have, I just feel like I, now I feel like it was a wasted chance.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, So um, I was kind of shopping around this book proposal idea with, only i don 't know, two or three weeks to go before I was actually leaving the CCPA with no job, uh, no prospects uh, and and then I finally landed a grant to write this book. Um, but the book was originally different from the book that I ended up writing. The original book plan was to write about you know drawing on my time at CCPA. Mm-hmm. And, and, and
0: CPA for people who don't know it, is a, is a progressive uh, econ, economics kind of think tank uh, mm-hmm. proposing alternative budgets. Uh, Canada's yeah.
1: foremost progressive think tank. Okay, um, beautiful. That's what we would say. Uh, and, but I was increasingly alarmed about the science on climate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted to write a book about what do we do about this harrowing gap between what the science says we have to do what our politics seems prepared to entertain. I was originally only going to have, the original outline of the book, I was going to have a single chapter on lessons from the second world war, because I had long been intrigued by that as an example of rapid economic transformation. Mm -hmm. But I was also meeting with friends who were writers, real writers, unlike me, like you. And every time I met with a real writer, you know, they were like, look, you've left a policy think tank. The, the key difference between writing policy papers, which I'd done for 22 years and a book, is you've got to have an air. And as I started to delve into the World War II stuff, you know, there's just so much story there. Mm-hmm. But I also... They've even made a couple of movies about World War II. They've made a few movies. I, so it I, turns I, out there's a few stories. Yeah, Books, there's a few books. Few, <laughs> yeah, few there's this Hitler movies,
0: character movies. that have, some of them have couple, uh, covered from a few angles. I mean, yeah. I don't think we've quite the bottom of Based on the true the, story? Like, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so, uh, but the other thing is that I kept seeing more and more parallels between that story in the present and not just on the economic transformation front, but on so many fronts. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up rewriting the whole outline and writing this book about how do we mobilize for the climate emergency, but entirely structured around lessons from the second world war. So that is the book it's called the good war mobilizing Canada for the climate emergency. But then as the fates of time have it, uh, as you were alluding to earlier, three days before the pandemic, I ship off the final version for copy edit. And then, and I was, you say it's like the timing was, you know, fortuitous, but I was in a panic. I was like, I was like, is my book still relevant? Because I was assuming that we needed this historic reminder of how quickly we're capable of changing everything. Yeah. Here we all are. Um, But in the end, so I ended up not touching the book in, in the wake of the pandemic, uh, in the content of the book. It's sort of fun to write. No,
0: no germs.
1: Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> no, you weren't I weren't sure where it had been. It just would have been a rabbit hole. Like I would have yeah. had to start changing everything. So I just, I wrote a new epilogue about the pandemic and the connections with the war and, and climate and otherwise didn't touch the content of the book. It's kind of fun to read the book now, realizing that it was all written before our world changed. Mm -hmm. um and uh and yeah i see all of these parallels between all three emergencies the pandemic the war and the climate emergency but yeah that's my long-winded explanation of the book and and how it fits into this moment we find ourselves in
0: it seems like i mean i feel i feel like my my confidence goes up and it goes down depending on um i mean I i feel like at the at the national level i feel like well, at the provincial level, I think, I, like, I feel pretty robust. Like, I feel like it's been a pretty big vindication of a kind of uh, more um, collective approach or a, a, a more sort of social approach. And and I and I feel like um, uh, Justin Trudeau is getting in touch with his like uh, Keynesian uh, hmm. DNA and in his father's uh, like you know. It's obviously like there's there's less of an allergy in, can, in Canadian political culture, I think, than than we've seen in the states with like the fighting around fourteen hundred dollars versus two thousand dollars, like just these crazy fights over which completely not enough amount should be sent out to people. Um, but like I, I find I find like I kind of uh, ping pong between either feeling like. Uh, we are being pushed through something like World War II in the sense of like this huge trauma that is forcing us into collective action that is showing us again that that governments and publics can can get things done that that private sectors driven by profit you know can 't do on their own like all these sort of the the, the not only materially are we being forced to do this, but, but culturally, um, you know, being, being put in these positions to relearn what it means to be societies. And then, and then I feel like, you know, then my brother sends me video of, you know, uh, anti-mask, uh, rally going up Robson street, yelling at him, uh, uh, on the sidewalk and, uh, that he's brainwashed for wearing a mask. And, and I guess like one of the things i'm sort of trying to hold on to and i feel like you know you talk about this in the book is the idea that all of society was united arm mm-hmm. in arm to fight the nazis it's never like that's unanimous. totally projected backwards uh, that's something that we made up now looking back but we were never unanimous to going in exactly
1: exactly this is the thing all of these crises are never met by a, united, a completely united, unanimous consensus among the populace. It didn't exist in the lead up to World War II. It didn't even exist through World War II. It doesn't, didn't exist in the lead up to pandemic. It doesn't exist in the pandemic. And it, and it doesn't exist on climate. And, and that's fine. Like, you don't need unanimity. Mm-hmm. Um, you just need enough. You need enough people who pivot to emergency mode. So the fact that you know, there's some share of our populace that is uh, still in climate denial mode actually doesn't concern me very much. The fact that there's, you know, a, a, a share of the populace that's anti-maskers, you know, it's, it's, it's a problem when they start compromising the health of others. Um, but it doesn't disturb me that not everyone's on board. And as you say, in the rearview mirror, we assume that the whole pop- Canadian public was ready to rally in September of 1939. Um, and that's simply not true, mm-hmm. uh, uh, at, at many levels, it's not true. And in, in what all of these things have in common and what I spend time kind of noodling over these days is what is, you know, what's the alchemy, the, uh, the combination of events and leadership that pivots the zeitgeist into emergency mode um and you know so in world war ii it was you know the, the fall of france you know because there was interestingly in world war ii there was this period that historians call the phony war where yeah. we had declared war but not a lot was happening mm-hmm. and it was really only at nine months later again nine months uh, with the fall of france uh when 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 that popular Zeitgeist starts. That was hit. a mic drop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The mic
0: drop moment. But just the like... earbud <laughs> fell out of
1: my ear. Sorry. Um, and similarly, like, if you think back 10 or 11 months ago to the start of the pandemic, like, we can all sort of remember, okay, what was it when we each had this sort of, oh, my goodness, this is, mm-hmm. this is different. Like, for a lot of, I remember, I remember the cancellation of the NBA season. And I don't even yeah. watch basketball. But I remember thinking, like, ooh. That's different. Yeah, um, but then I was supposed also- to
0: do a weekend in April in uh, a, a comedy club in Montreal, and uh, at at a, maybe about I, I'm going to say like March 5th, I sent an email to uh, the owner of the club saying. Hey, should, I guess let's, maybe we should just kind of keep in touch over the next couple of weeks and see how this thing develops. We're yeah, still and a little in denial. I want to keep this email like framed. He wrote me back. He said, uh, yeah, I mean, let's stay in touch. But I mean, we've already printed the posters uh and, and like literally within 72 hours every major sports league yeah. had had like canceled their season and i was yeah. like oh man those posters i uh <laughs> Ooh, this is the thing you gotta give everyone yeah. a little time yeah and and but the thing is with the
1: pandemic it wasn't just those cancellations right it was also that our prime minister addressed us every morning from the steps of his home mm-hmm. and that also communicates emergency. And, and this is the thing, emergencies need to look and sound and feel like emergencies. And if, our, and if leadership sends contradictory signals, that undercuts people's sense that it's a real emergency. So even though you know, Canadians increasingly think climate is an emergency, you know, because they hear their prime minister say it's an emergency, but if the prime minister the very next day reapproves the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion, th- that's mm. confusing, that's yeah. dissonant. Um, and it undercuts our our understanding that we are, in fact, facing an emergency.
0: In climate change terms, every day is politicians going to the Caribbean in the middle of COVID.
1: Right, exactly. Uh, that, is, that is the new climate denial. I like that metaphor.
0: Let me ask, uh, uh, and I, I'm not trying to sow discord in the family or anything like that, but like, <laughs> so, so uh, your sister, Naomi, has written a book, The Shock Doctrine, which is about like the way that the right has used states of exception to sort of change the political um, uh, landscape uh, to their advantage. And there seems to be elements in the kind of state of emergency that you're describing um, of a more sort of positive or more uh, social or socially minded um inversion of that of 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 like uh recognizing something recognizing an urgency or recognizing that things have changed uh i i don't know i guess a time in history where the pace of history is is sped up is that yeah. is that fair well, or there's no discord
1: in the family i mean naomi too i think would say you 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 should make the most of a good crisis yeah um uh but you know I'm, I'm joking but that but her, her point in the shock doctrine is is that when emergencies catch us off guard and when they leave us disoriented um that is when you know disaster capitalism takes advantage of the situation and and her book is a call for people to stay alert mm-hmm. uh, to those moments um so that uh we so that they aren't steered in that, um, in, in that direction. Yeah. Um, now the advantage, you know, with climate, it, it, of course, has its extreme emergency moments, but unlike COVID and unlike the war, it's curse in a way is that it moves in slow motion. And so, you know, it allows for that perpetual kicking of the can down the road when we don't actually.
0: It does know. move in slow motion, but it is staggering the degree to which it, it went, uh imperceptibly from being a thing that we talked about as a totally hypothetical possibility down the road to to here and now cities filling with smoke every summer and like tens of thousands of people like i mean uh you know uh, the images of of all these elderly people in europe dying during the first wave of covid in the spring I mean I think a lot of people compared it for instance to the like the heat waves that have hit uh Europe in in recent years and 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 caused excess death among the elderly uh um you know all of that um seems to be tied to uh warming climate trends and I mean it so it I mean the, the thing that feels uh uh scary is the, is that is that ability to that <laughs> that, I, I, the, that it's like we blinked and it went from ah don't worry it's it's never going to happen to ah, it's too late we can't do anything yeah. like uh where where it um and and that 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 trying to figure out how you talk to someone who who can't um
1: it makes that if it does make it hard i mean First of all, from polling that I had done as part of the book, you do see that the, the train of public opinion and public perception was definitely shifting in the two years before the pandemic, where, as you say, the, the perception of climate as a threat mm-hmm. um, what had moved from a threat sometime in the future, somewhere else, to here, now, it's happening. It's, it, it's impacting people in my life. And myself, mm-hmm. um, and in, in some way, I, I mean that. I mean that's what it's come to, and that was shifting public opinion in a positive way. Like people were like, "It is." I mean, we saw that reflected in the fact that a few months before the pandemic, a million Canadians were on the streets, and in, in probably the largest single day of protest in Canadian history, a month in front of a federal election, and it became a dominant issue in that federal election. It feels like a long time ago now, mm-hmm. um, but momentum was was really growing um it's not too late uh but it is hard and one of the things that makes the climate issue hard you know i'm i'm a little older than you so i grew up in the nuclear arms race era still mm-hmm. i i, I yeah, luckily listen. i
0: grew up in a world without nuclear weapons that's right
1: But here but there was a difference mm-hmm. so i was a teenager in the 80s yeah. when a measurable number of teenagers expected to die in a nuclear war. Right. Um, I see. I grew you, up you we're just
0: you. worried that we would die from AIDS. Right. Exactly. Uh, like it being a teenager go, in the t- 90s. Times are changing. Like, yeah. Choose your, <laughs> pick, pick
1: your, uh, 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 Don
0: DeLillo-esque uh, unavoidable <laughs> social terror. And right. um, yes, but, but yes. Okay. okay but here's the point, point I was going to yes, make. Yeah. Is that,
1: as a, kid, as a kid in the 80s yeah. with the nuclear threat, the th- it too was a kind of existential threat. Mm-hmm. But the difference is, is that it would either happen or it wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Right. And climate isn't like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Climate is a matter of degrees. Are our kids going to grow up in a 1.5 degree world or a two degree world or God forbid, a four degree world? And the four degree world can still be avoided. And if it isn't avoided, it's a goddamn hellscape for our kids. So that's the moment we're in now.
0: How do we, um, because there are people calling on the left for basically a shift from like, let's roll directly from the emergency footing of the COVID moment to an emergency, like continuing on to the emergency footing of the the climate moment. How do we, how do we- I'm
1: one of those people.
0: Yeah, so, so how do we roll to emergency without rolling to shock, if we will? Like, how do we stay in the one client column without moving into, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's an emergency. So send us your fingerprints and uh, mm-hmm. let's, um, you know, we're going to read your emails, but that's only because it's an emergency. Yeah.
1: Well, we have to be alive to that threat. And so in, in my book, uh, you know, most of my book lauds all of this incredible transformation that happened in the war, but there are Uh a few chapters of the book that are outlining the cautionary tales from the second world war, the things that happened that caused us shame, whether it was these extraordinary infringements of civil liberties and the internments and the turning away of refugees and the poisoning of indigenous territories and a bunch of awful things that happened in the war. And all you can do is go into the present emergency eyes wide open Uh, uh, with full resolve not to repeat the sins of the past. That's why you tell the story of the things that, that caused you shame. Um, But I also think we can't, first of all, we can and should transition from acting on the one emergency to the next. Mm -hmm. First of all, in economic terms, there are some important differences between COVID and climate. The response to COVID has, is devastating to the economy and employment because we're all told to stay home. Mm-hmm. Um, the response to the climate emergency is a huge boon to the economy and employment once we fully embrace the Green mm. New Deal type, types of measures. So in the same way that the war was the economic uh, solution to the Great Depression, a true Green New Deal climate plan is exactly the, the economic uh, cure post for, for, for economic recovery post pandemic. The other thing, you know, often people say to me, like, well, look, look how much fatigue people already have around COVID. And now you're asking them to go into another emergency. And there, I think there's an important difference too. like, so first of all, the war, you know, was six years. We've been 10 months in, in the pandemic, but part of why the pandemic is so fatiguing is because what, what we're told to do in response to the pandemic is anathema to all of our social instincts.
0: This is very true.
1: And, but the response to the climate emergency is precisely the opposite. It calls on us to get out and do something grand together. And that's exact, and, and it, it is a, and that's in, in, this, in the same way that, you know, there were all of these predictions at the outset of the Second World War, particularly in England under the bombardment, that it would be devastating to people's mental health, mm-hmm. and in the end, it was the opposite. That people, on on by and large, that the kind of collective rallying spirit and common purpose was, a, people recall it as a positive experience that way. Mm.
0: But then, twenty years later, Beatlemania. So <laughs> the, I mean, we, we, i just think <laughs> we have to them. keep, yeah, the the mid, <laughs> the medium and long term effects do have to be kept in mind. But I take your point. Right. Uh, no, I mean, I I, tol- I totally agree. I mean, I think like it really is one one of the big problems is that the very people who would be most likely to want to chip in and want to do the right thing, the very thing they're being asked to do is stay home and have stay nothing home. to do with all the people who you want to help and be around and, yeah. and, and hold and, and, uh, be present to. And, and it, and it's, it's That's so hard. hard. It's so hard. Um, uh, and, and it's, uh, I, 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 you, 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 I mean, in a way you're pushing an open door with me in the sense that, uh, like, I agree with you entirely, um, politically, but, uh, but, and we, we've had, but we've had this conversation before where I, I think, um, uh, in terms of sensibility uh, we 're very we 're very different and i like in 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 the sense of you you have you have a kind of natural um, hopefulness about people and and about uh, possibilities that i i 've always uh, very deeply admired well here 's you
1: and know, it 's true you and I have talked about this a lot but i don 't i wouldn 't overstate that i try so <laughs> I, I've i been talking a lot since the book came out about, you know, how do you know when a government's in emergency mode? And I have these four markers, right? You spend what it takes to win. You create new economic institutions to get the job done. You move from voluntary to mandatory measures as needed, and you tell the truth. So he, let's pause on that one for a sec. The leaders we most remember from the second world war were forthright about this, the true severity of the crisis. Mm-hmm. So, they they walked, you know, particularly the Churchill, FDR folks, right? They, they were... Um, <laughs> Less they, Stalin, the, the non- Stalin the truth well, teller. I can't really speak to how he did his PR, but... <laughs> I don't think he um, <laughs> needed to tell anybody
0: how grim things were in the That's Soviet right. Union. Uh, I think that, that uh, was uh, loud and clear. Um, but let's stick with our other allies yeah, from okay. the era.
1: But my point is, they walked this very careful line between being... Not Pollyanna, but forthright yeah. about the crisis uh, and the fact that it was grim, right? And, uh, and yet still communicating hope. Um, and I think the same is needed in the present, right? In the climate emergency, you get some some environmental communicators who just sound a bit ridiculous. Like, we can do it. It's not that hard. You'll barely even notice. Yeah. Um, and that just doesn't feel believable. Yeah. And then there's others who you listen to, and you you just want to split your wrists. Yes. Um, so, yeah.
0: So, so I I'm trying in the but book, in a cold be, bath.
1: But, okay. S- to save that energy. That helps. Yes. Um, well, I just it. say
0: it feels like I you know I don't want to on the way out do one more hoggish <laughs> Yeah, that's thoughtful. Um. Uh. So
1: I'm trying to be honest in the book. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, any of us who deal seriously with the science of climate change, walk a razor's edge between hope and despair. And we know both. We should be honest about both. And that we don't actually know if we are going to do what we need to do in time to stave off that horrific future. Uh, That is the ambiguous time in which we live. And I'm trying to be forthright about that. So I'm, I'm not you know, hopelessly optimistic about this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm damn scared about this stuff. Language, but, please. <laughs> but here's the other interesting thing out of that World War II story, and I realize I'm like everyone's weird uncle, uh, the war, of the war. Um, uh, there's, Canada had a population of, of about 11 million at the time. Yeah. Over a million people enlisted. I mean, that is mind-boggling, right? Can we agree on that? Yes. And what they- Especially didn't... since
0: none of them were from Quebec. And I'm allowed to say, I'm allowed to make that joke <laughs> <laughs> uh, ethnically. I yeah, uh, yeah. have a past. Except but... that's
1: not entirely true. No, it's not um, true.
0: I'm de- okay. Yes.
1: Um, but what they didn't know is if they would win.
0: Right. Right.
1: Because we, like, we, we forget, we know how the story ends. Yeah. So we just so, mentally, we just forget that they didn't know. Mm-hmm. And yet they did what they had to do anyway. And they surprise themselves. So I'm trying to say, look, is is it, is it a sure bet that we're going to do this? No, it is not. Not by a long shot. Um, but it is too early to throw in the towel because history is full of these examples in which things can happen extremely quickly. And not only do we transform economies on the economic front, mm-hmm. we end up actually changing all social relations and coming out of these things different than the people we went into it. And, and just as it's, you know, silly to be Pollyanna about these things, it's also untrue not to appreciate mm-hmm. that history is littered with these times when we surprise ourselves.
0: I mean, it, I- it, the, I mean, the vaccines this year are an example of that. Where you know, with with this kind of funding and with this kind of human ingenuity and with this kind of you yeah. know, the, this this these multiple packets of miracles happen. Where, where... The, the
1: scientific miracles, but also like on the economic and policy ones. Like, here's the thing, Charlie. If you had said to Canadians in 1938 where our government had just been so stuck in the mud about not, you know, we never had a new deal in Canada because Mm -hmm. the Mackenzie King government just couldn't think that way. So if you had said to Canadians in 1938, this gang and Mackenzie King's cabinet, are they capable of completely transforming Canadian society and the economy the way they actually did? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm certain most Canadians would have said that gang. No, no way. And if you had asked me 11 months ago, are there people at finance Canada and the bank of Canada ki- who who capable of like pivoting with ex- with, within weeks and creating these audacious new programs like the CERB and the WAVE stuff? I would, I, I hate to say it, cynical mm. me, Charlie, I would have said, no, I don't think so. No one's home who thinks that way. And I would have been wrong. Mm. Like you never know.
0: Yeah. Uh. Well, whether it's fighting Nazis or uh, fighting COVID, you can always count on the Serb. <laughs> as my, as my, uh, um, I mean, technically Tito was Croatian, but uh, the the point stands. <laughs> um, I.
1: How do you even remember that sort of thing?
0: i uh, i i the the uh tito being croatian always sticks because it's uh, yeah why it's does a, that always stick uh, well because it's a counter intuition it's oh it's is it? uh yeah well well yeah because he's uh um uh well i mean i don't i don't want to get letters That's right. uh i don't now that i've already engaged uh uh all, enraged all of the um quebecois anti-conscription um uh, fan base. Uh, I don't want to now uh, uh, inflame the Balkans. And um, let's,
1: let's be clear: there's legions of other people born in 1980, Yes. <laughs> who who are like Tito. You're certainly you're not remembering correctly, Charlie.
0: <laughs> yeah, they just assume that I'm talking about the Jackson Five. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. And uh, <laughs> there is uh, uh, no, I, I, but but it, it's I, I do. Um, you know, I've I've had this conversation with um, George Bowering. So George, George is born December first, nineteen thirty-five. Because uh, we we talked about, um, you know, he and I wrote a book together about having uh, kids, having I mean I read daughter, it. daughters specifically, right? Okay. Read that book. Uh, you you were the one, and um, uh, we uh, sweet book. Thank you, I I I love it, and uh, it's it's nice to have. Um, I I read to Josephine from it on her uh, birthday uh, this year. I read to her the story of uh, the night she was born, which um, is a scary story. And as I was reading it, I was like, I hope she's okay with this. She seemed to be all right with it. I know what you mean. Um, uh, Back to George. Yeah, so George was born December 1st, 1935. And his daughter, Thea, was born uh, in 1971. I was born in 1980, and Josephine, my daughter, was born in uh, 2014. And so we, he and I have talked about the fact that, you know, uh, he, when Thea was born, it was 1971. Mentally, they were still in the 1960s. They were living in a commune in Kitsilano. Mm-hmm. The Americans were just about to be driven out of um, Vietnam, the uh, the Black Power Movement was making it s- itself known and felt in American politics. Uh, the, um, uh, I, I think, uh, I mean, it's still a few years away from the, the, the first PQ government in, in Quebec, but things are changing in Canada between, at least between English and French. And, uh, you know, the, 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 they thought that Thea was being born into like the age of Aquarius, like, right. and instead she's born into the same era that I am of just decades of rolling back yeah. um, the gains of the 20th century. Yeah. George, born on December 1st, 1935, born in the middle of the depression. He's four mm-hmm. years old when World War II starts. So the first 10 years of his life are depression, and then the biggest war that humanity has ever had and then right into um the the high cold war and and the nuclear panic and you would think you know what a time to bring this bring a life into the world and instead especially for someone of his demographic of a you know an english-speaking white man uh in western canada but but really for a great number of people across the global North uh, in general, he's born into the all you can eat buffet of history yeah. for yeah. 40, 50 years. Like you just never know in that moment, whether you what your kid is, is being yeah. born into. So Josephine, the year she was born, this big sheaf of the Antarctic falls into the ocean and uh, they say that you know it's never coming back. Like this is the uh, that, that and that's that happened. The um, I think the spring after she was born. The the the, the some the, all all these big things. And, and you know I keep thinking about this pandemic. I keep thinking about the smoke filling the cities. All all this stuff. And I think is this the depression and war that surrounded Baby George uh, before. Decades Dawning on a new era. Da- a new era, and I mean, in my better moments, I feel like I can hold on to. And the answer is always is maybe.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, all, these things go in waves, and these things at any moment can go in any direction. I mean, the 1930s and the hardship and despair of that period gave birth to both Hitler and the promise of the New Deal. Mm-hmm. And so this is part of what, the, one of the themes I'm, I work with in the book is this idea, and it's back to your point about hope and despair, is that we actually have, you said, I see the good in everyone. That's not quite right. Uh, like, I think we're all a mix. Mm-hmm. And and, I'm, and the book is in part uh, wrestling with the question of leadership. It's particularly a book about political leadership and what kind of leadership animates the one or the other because hmm. I think it can do you know that the best kind of leadership animates the best in us the worst kind you know a la trump a la hitler out of whatever animates the worst um
0: it's not necessarily that I think you see the best in people all the time I, although I think you you have more of that tendency than than you maybe cop to but I I it's it's more that I I just feel like you don't take the darkness personally in a way that feels like uh which i I'm, is not I'm meant to suggest aloofness it's far from aloofness as anyone listening can can hear i just mean um i get like i get pissy in a way that yeah. is very un uh unappealing and I, like i get i get i allow myself to get heartbroken by people and i allow myself mm. to get um pissed off and get into oh that i do I, of- I
1: i feel all those things too and the pissed offness especially in disappointment and political disappointment um but back to your your other comparisons about these times so yeah they go in waves and you never know um i do think that this is a moment with great similarity between uh the the, the world George was born into at a crossroads moment. Mm -hmm. There are crossroads moments that could go either way. And George was born a few years before a crossroads moment. And my son and your daughter are the same age, born Mm -hmm. the same year, and they are born into a crossroads moment. And, you know, that's partly the appeal that I'm making in the book. Like I'm having fun with this book because it lets you connect with different audiences in new ways and make a little mischief right because mm-hmm. so many people feel a connection to this world war ii story either familial, yeah. institutional there's parts that are important to their sense of legacy and purpose and as you were saying before and joking about before like our bookshelves are filled with these world war ii stories and our netflix streams and movies and and why is that right so all these people are intrigued but there's obviously a market for it and What I'm trying to say in the book is, in particular, a lot of our leaders are kind of history buffs about this story. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I'm trying to say is, so all these people who read these books and watch these movies, I think when they go to bed at night and they close the book cover and shut off the TV after watching or reading one of these stories, the question in their head is, is what would I have done if I had lived then and there? And, um, and, and I'm trying to say, well, actually that's not a mystery because if you're, if you're wondering that question, Mm -hmm. a civilizational threat is at our doorstep again. Your children are under threat again. So the answer to that question is what do you want to do now?
0: Uh tune in next week to find out what you should do now. Uh, no, I think that's a I think that's a beautiful place uh to leave it. I uh I really appreciate you coming on and uh the book is The Good War. Um remind me of the subtitle. A Good War. A hey, Good, good war. war. Sorry.
1: Uh Mobilizing Canada for the Climate Emergency. You can get it at your local bookstore. Hey, actually you'll appreciate this as an author. I got told so. My book's in a second printing. Oh, and, congratulations! Uh, thank that you. was very quick. I that's guess never so. happened to me. Um, I mean, the first printing was only four thousand. Um, no, that's
0: good. <laughs> okay,
1: and but here's the cool thing: is that when I was told that that was happening, my publisher also told me that of all of the like uh, bookstore sales, um, or or rather like non like not to libraries. Um, Fifty-two percent of them worth to independent bookstores, which is unheard of Beautiful. in the era of Amazon. Um, so yes, yeah, so you can get it from your local bookstore, um, or and you can get links to all kinds of things on my website, which is just sethklein.ca.
0: So go to sethklein.ca, go to your local bookstore, uh, pick it up. It's it's terrific. It's uh, we have been passing it back and forth as as a couple so i've still not made it through the entire um we don't have the uh full like i i don't want to out your personal details but you 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 and chris have a very um uh uh, a very loving approach to sharing literary experience as a couple and uh in our house you say that what 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 do you mean well like that you um because we uh, read out loud to each other yeah because you read out loud to each other (laughs)
1: actually we don't usually do that
0: well, I didn't want to. Well, this still the <laughs> fact that he that it even occasionally happens. Whereas what happens with us is that uh, I'll get a book. Kara will say, "Can I read that first, Put it on her side of the bed, uh, and then not read it. Like start reading it uh, for three months in a row. Fall asleep immediately, um, uh, and then I can't find it because it's on her side of the bed. Like anyway, it's 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 an issue. Are you telling um, me?
1: Sorry. Did you just tell me that my book's making your wife fall asleep?
0: I'm saying that books make my wife <laughs> okay. fall asleep, uh, but, but not yours, but that, uh, but that it uh, is uh, uh, we have, we have uh, it, it's, it's disputed it's disputed um, territory. Uh, can, can I
1: tell you a story that made me really happy? And like, you're one of the few people who would appreciate absolutely. How, how much it makes me happy. So I've been getting nice, like emails, people read, particularly, A lot of people got it as a gift over the holidays. So I've had a lot of emails lately from people who read it and just said, thank you. They really loved it. Nice. The best was the week after the vacation, I I got emails from two grandsons and one granddaughter of C.D. Howe. Wow. And the book's been circulating in his family (laughs) and they love it. And the one grandson who's like a senior citizen himself now, basically said thank you for rescuing my our grandfather's keynesian legacy from the think tank that bears his name
0: holy moly this is like uh
1: that's a jackpot right
0: there that is uh uh tell the people who who cd howe is and and how he figures uh in the book well he's sort of the hero
1: of the book um so so most of us who know the name cd howe know the name because there's this right wing neoliberal think tank in Toronto named for the guy Mm -hmm. in the second world war. He was the most powerful minister in the Mackenzie King government. He was the minister for munitions and supply. And he, so he was the guy responsible for overseeing this incredible ramp up in military production of planes and tanks and ships and, and armaments from a base of almost nothing. Now, just to be clear, he, he was on the right wing of the liberal party, mm-hmm. but he was, I describe him as an engineer in a hurry. He, he was, he was seized with the task of ramping up military production and he wasn't an ideologue. So like he was happy to give contracts to the private sector, but anytime the private sector couldn't quickly do what needed doing, he creates another crown corporation. Hmm. In the course of the war, he creates 28 crown corporations to get this job done. And he is completely in the way that we've talked a bit about in the pandemic, but he's carefully controlling all the supply chains of every key input. So fuel, coal, timber, machine tools, silk, rubber, you name it. He's silk? like got- Yes. You need it for for different kinds of, of, of military production. Wow. and uh, And he's got, he's recruiting business buddies who are serving as what they call controllers. They're carefully controlling and coordinating all of the supply chains to prioritize military production. So this guy, at least during those six years, is basically the minister for state planning. Um, Hmm. um, And yet now we have this think tank that uh, is named for the guy that is sort of the opposite of that. Um, (laughs) uh, But the family... Uh, the Family Knows the History.
0: Wow. I, uh, I have to admit, I, my, I slightly checked out and started thinking of all the parts of the military budget that would involve silk. I, I, like Part of my mind is still on that, but, uh, but I did follow <laughs> as, 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 as loyally as I could to the end of the anecdote, but I, I'm now wondering about all these sexy military items <laughs> filled with silk and what the uh yeah just what these guys parachutes? were getting up to parachutes, parachutes. oh yeah sexy parachutes they do, but...
1: yeah
0: they had silk parachutes Whew, that sounds that know. sounds what can i uh, tell you that was fancy. one of
1: the things they were they one of the inputs they were controlling
0: silk parachutes feels to me like if you were if i asked someone for a list of all the reasons why the french army had to surrender that would be close to the top it's like well they blew all their money on silk <laughs> parachutes that was number 1 uh uh camembert uh <laughs> insistence on camembert rations um, mm. I, I i love that story and i i love uh i oh man that's uh, uh that's and i love that they're sticking up for their grandpa yeah. like i the idea of like an old man uh uh sticking up for his grandpa's rep is uh yeah. very touching to me yeah, speaking of grandpas, I've been watching old uh, Disney uh, w- uh, stuff uh, from the uh, '40s with um, Josephine. Yes, and I ke- I always like which look- ones. Um, well, we've, we we speaking of uh, war effort stuff, we've been watching uh, "Saludos Amigos" and um, uh, the Three Caballeros, like the uh, the uh, um, Goodwill. Uh, try to win latin america over from the nazis in the early 40s movies um and i I don't think your grandpa was uh an an animator on those ones but um no well you won't see his name
1: this is why they had to strike is disney never gave credit to anyone but like the very top animators.
0: okay okay yes
1: so of the hunt i mean it was hundreds of people who were who were Behind the scenes, and they 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 didn't get credit. You wouldn't see his name. He was not like a big animator, um, but yeah, he worked. My grandfather worked on Bambi, Pinocchio, Fantasia. Um, although his his main gig was to teach the new guys how to properly draw Donald Duck, <laughs> or as he used to say, he's not alive anymore. To uh, to stamp out creativity
0: wherever reared its ugly head. <laughs> 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 i'll uh, i'll hold that tidbit back from um from josephine who's still in quite a uh smitten with donald duck phase that uh aaron's great grandfather uh uh had that uh bit of insider intel on uh, on on uh on the donald the original donald the original angry donald um who looked south uh uh, and and asked uh, and asked why um, uh, it's it's uh, but the uh, uh, saludos amigos is where they the they did a goodwill trip is that trip. Disney yeah that- it's, so it's the Disney uh, Disney and a bunch of animators flew down to um, uh, Brazil Argentina and uh, I think Chile or um, like. So they did this trip, and it was literally just to it was like a wartime disp- diplomacy trip to like uh, go down to like a couple of countries that were getting slightly cuddly with germany yeah. uh yeah and uh and and try and get drive a little cultural wedge so there 's like a uh there 's like a goofy as a gaucho like uh there 's a cute little a story about the plane who flies the mail between uh, uh, um, uh, Bolivia and and Chile, and uh, it's uh, there. I mean, they're beautiful, and 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 then the, the Brazil. Uh, uh, there's the parrot um, uh, from Brazil, and and, so, and the music is amazing. And you just you go back, and, and I mean, and and of course we love Pinocchio, and and uh, oh, yeah, he works just, on Pinocchio too. Yeah, you go back and you see these. Um, I mean. You know, I, I work in animation and I like I work in uh, I, and a lot of great stuff still gets made and I, I, I love it. But but I do like there just is there's no comparison the 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 computer animation versus the uh, yeah. like, I mean, it's, yeah. it's just you look at this stuff and it's 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 so beautiful. Although yeah. when I watch Pinocchio. You, I, you must think. But you think about the labor involved in unreal it's unreal it's mind-boggling it's like it's like looking at the pyramids or something like that where you're just like how did somebody like what were they paying someone that they could afford to get someone to do like no but you know here
1: i think you'll appreciate this story this isn't in my book but uh so it's interesting when you talk about disney helping with this wartime thing so as you know my grandfather was one of the guys who started the union at disney and they had this big huge strike before the U.S. entered the war, like 1940, 41. Uh, but I think it was 41, but before the U.S. entered. Because that was at the end of the year. And, uh, you know, pulled in the whole labor movement of California and elsewhere. It was like a big deal. They were on strike for a few months, uh, like 400 people out. Um, but the way that the strike ended in the end was that um, the, because so many people were watching this strike uh, all, all around the world. Um, Roosevelt was due to go on a tour of Latin America uh, to try to drum up support for entry in the war. And um, the Latin American trade unions let it be known that they were going to dog him the whole way because of the Disney strike. Wow. And the State Department leaned on Disney to, to finally settle.
0: Holy smoke. That's very cool. Interesting fact for the day. Very interesting fact. I, uh, I mean, the whole, the whole, you're watching Pinocchio and you just, I mean, it, it challenges your whole understanding of economics on multiple levels. Mostly um, how the guy who changes little boys into donkeys uh, is turning a profit. Because his whole business model is that he, he kidnaps boys, takes them to an island where they can destroy anything that they want and eat everything they want and smoke and drink. And then that turns them into donkeys that he then sells as donkeys. How is that possibly cheaper than just breeding donkeys? It's it, it's not possible.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, I wondered about that.
0: Yeah. I want to write a book. uh, Well, not a book. This is not a book. It's really more of a bumper sticker. Um, uh, But I do, I want to write an essay called animal spirits about the, the change in um, uh, uh, like the economic value system of, of of the animated feature film, particularly in Disney, but like the, uh, because if you go back, like there's a switch over if, because it goes from movies like the jungle book and Bambi and, uh, where everything is about the growth towards sexual maturity. That's like the universal story of like, you're a boy or you're a girl and uh, one day you grow up and it's painful to grow up, but you have to leave the world that you ha- knew behind and, and you become uh, you become an adult. And that, that's this like universal template of all the stories. And then there's this switchover, maybe 20, 25 years ago, it starts happening in the kind of late eighties, early nineties, um, uh, sort of around the like little mermaid time where it, it, it becomes the neoliberal, like uh, uh, what you have to do is follow your dreams. Um, despite it, uh, Uh, despite what your community is telling you and like you need to transcend the community that you come from in order to follow your dreams and uh, be who you're really meant to be. And then every Disney, like Ratatouille is all about, you know, you've got to leave the rats behind because they don't understand and you've got to go become this master chef. And uh, like, and it, and it all culminates in, in uh, Zootopia, which is like, the embodiment of, um, uh, like neo, neoliberal, uh, um, uh, like neoliberal, like a, like a, uh, like, uh, a- anyway, I, it, I've got to send it to Slavoj oh, for some notes. I'll but, never uh, look
1: at these cartoons the same way again. No.
0: Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm still working on it. I I've got, you know, there's a couple of codes still to crack, but I, uh, I it's it's all in there it's, you know what it's, code I've
1: noticed because I've been listening to your podcast this new podcast series and I, here's the code I noticed is that um, there's like a point in the interview when you say I think we've come to the end yeah, and then you and the guest talk for another 40 minutes <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it's uh it's a coda um I eventually uh if what i'm what I'm gonna try and do is get people addicted to that little extra bit and then start charging for the coda so people will get the the podcast for free and then um uh forty nine ninety five for the epilogue uh that's the uh 'cause that's where the meat is because um, this is this is where we you know um it's cheaper than mink and donkeys <laughs> uh seth uh, that's directly from an economist i can say uh this is i've been told when i go in for my loan at van city hey i was told this is cheaper than making donkeys um thank you so much for doing this you and chris are the very first ever uh full couple represented on the podcast hey honey we're the first full couple on the podcast all right yeah so if you guys ever want to like, uh, we'll do a special episode where you renew your vows, uh, doing during sweeps week, we can do that. Uh, I got to find out when podcast sweeps week is, but uh, I can I to get that all sorted out. Okay. <laughs> um. Uh, uh, uh. Much love to everyone in the uh, Boyle Klein household. And and to all of you. And uh, uh, and people should. Uh, check out the book. They can pick it up at sethkline.ca, uh, or at their most beloved independent bookstore. Right. Thanks, buddy. Good night.